Hello and welcome to the next episode of the Powerless Podcast. In this episode, I talk to Ravana, who is a disability rights advocate, uh, Twitch partner, um, contributor to the Young Turks, uh, and co-host of the Taking the L Pod, as well as a streamer on, I think I said this already, but a streamer on Twitch. Um, Ravana and I get into uh, what got her started into politics, um, a lot of different things involving uh, uh, the ongoing escalation of violence. Um, ethnic cleansing and genocide and in uh the gaza strip against palestinians by the israeli government chicago's response um as they were the first city in the united states or the first city of this size to openly call for a ceasefire fire by the local government um we get into that we get into a couple of current events um uh issues involving both um the ongoing uh insanity that is twitter run by elon musk um we get into some of the various articles that really both um, are perplexing from a financial advisor that wrote about uh, her um, her getting duped out of $50,000, as well as the, the continuation of, of articles that come out routinely uh, that, that kind of vilify spending habits of millennials and Gen Z years as, uh, as things get more expensive and as we don't have as much purchasing power and all those different things. Uh, we get into a bunch of different stuff like that, as well as talk a little bit about disability rights advocacy um, and, and, and a host of other topics. So it was great that Ravana came on with me to do this. I really appreciate her time. It was definitely a great episode, so I hope you all check it out. Um, before we get into the episode, as a reminder, you can just uh, find the podcast on all social media platforms at The Powerless Pod. That's uh, everywhere. You can find us on Patreon. It's $2.50 a month. Um, uh, so definitely go over there if you listen routinely and you want to support the show, support me, you know, using things that I use to edit this and put this together. Um, it definitely helps out a bunch to keep the show going. So I really appreciate those people that already do that. Um, and, uh, and last but not least, as I just referenced, um, uh, earlier with the conversation Ravana and I have, um, I do encourage people still, as I know this is well over a hundred days in, this is four months into the, um, ongoing violence that's happening in the Gaza Strip, as, as well as escalating a violence, uh, in the, in the West Bank. Um, the last reported numbers were over 36,000 purported killed, a majority of those civilians and a, and a vast plurality being women and children. Um, so go to ceasefiretoday.com. Uh, that's where you can find places to pressure politicians, to find protests near you, to find ways you can donate, um, and and all those different things to really apply whatever pressure we can as as individuals, whether you're in the United States, the UK, um, or Canada. I believe GazaStrong.com is also another one for people outside of those areas. Um, but a Google search away, you can probably find something if, if none of these avenues have something specific to where you live. But please consider doing that. It takes a few seconds of your time to to use these templates. If you want to use templates, if you want to call, if you want to use your own words, um, but definitely use all these avenues. So go to ceasefiretoday.com, uh, go to gazastrong.com, and uh, and just make sure to have your voice heard um, because our tax dollars are supporting this, our politicians are openly supporting this, and it's getting to an, an unprecedented level of violence um, against civilians. Um, I guess I should say this too. We say it in the episode, but uh, make sure to follow Ravana uh, on uh, Twitter at Ravana. That's R A Y Y V A N A T T V. Um, you can also follow her on Twitch. She she streams there pretty routinely. She said she's going to get back into that more often, um, and that's twitch.tv slash Ravana. Um, so make sure to follow her there. Um, go check out what she does with political commentary and all those different things. Definitely a great person to follow um, on on social media as well. So check it out.
All right, I am here with uh, Ravana, who is, uh, I'll just read off your bio here real quick. Uh, you have listed as a disability rights advocate, which I absolutely love as someone who's a special education teacher. I love oh, nice. uh, reading that from somebody. Uh, contributor for the Young Turks, co-host of Taking the L-Pod, and of course a Twitch streamer as well. Um, I, I kind of mentioned this briefly right before we hit recording, but I really appreciate you coming back on Um <laughs> Now that I have a new computer that won't uh, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, die right in the middle of recording. Um, but uh, before we get going here, uh, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. It was warmer here in Chicago today. So uh, that put me in a good mood. It's supposed to be even warmer tomorrow. And, you know, considering how February is usually our worst month, I I'm pretty ecstatic about that. So, yeah, I'm feeling good. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm just outside of Chicago, about an hour west. Um, and uh, while you know, you you and I both as sort of left wing people, whenever something's warm, like the doomer in me is like, it's not supposed to be like this. Record right. highs or whatever. <laughs> but when I can take my dog outside and it's like even in the morning before the sun's up, it's like 35 degrees in February as opposed to negative 30. You know, I'll take it. You know, right. we'll, we'll, we'll we we we'll, we'll take the positives where we can, right? Um. <laughs> Well, I appreciate you coming on. I thought it would be good today to, uh, you know, I always like to dive in with people, whether it's with music or politics, um, just kind of where your origin was with your political influences, what got you to kind of doing political commentary or activism or journalism or anything in those veins in, in, in your life um, and, and those things. Then I thought, you know, if we have time, I, I send a few links over. There are things I saw you share as well um, that are kind of in the current events, political discourse, zeitgeist. Uh, that we could get to if we have time. Um, but since I know this isn't like a music based episode, but I'm always just curious when I bring on people that are, you know, Twitch streamers or, or activists, journalists, whatever, I'm always just curious what people's different music tastes are. So kind of as a icebreaker here, what, what, uh, what have you been listening to a lot lately? What are some of your favorite artists? Just kind of get, get going with that. Yeah. So, um, I honestly, lately I've been listening to blonde and radio cause I just replayed GTA five, <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice, nice. But, Hell um, yeah. But awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daft Punk, my favorite group of all time. I've been, you know, putting on Discovery pretty much every time I go to the gym. Uh, random, random access memories a little bit here and there, too. Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of uh, house music, a lot of electronic music. Uh, also have a really soft spot for classic rock. My dad was a professional musician. Um, oh, shit. That was, yeah, it's, uh, it was awesome. He played classic rock music um, in the Chicago area and a lot of bars and stuff. Uh, but so, yeah, growing up, he'd always have the classic rock stations playing and he'd like let the song play for a second. He'd turn the radio off and then quiz me and make me tell him like the name of the band, the name of the song, the name of the album. So I have a, a whole uh, <laughs> endless knowledge yeah. of classic rock music. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's funny, you know, I had on um, Jen, uh, who is like, big nasty on Twitter a couple of, a couple of weeks back, who's a member of the CPUSA, and she said the same, for, I mean, I don't think she said anything about a family member being a professional musician, but like, we went into, when we went into music, it was all about like, the monkeys and the Beatles and classic rock <laughs> and all that, so I guess there's got to be something to uh, to just growing up with that and I guess getting into politics. I guess yeah. not that any of that music's political whatsoever, usually it's about partying or Right. You know, literally written about rock and roll, but but there <laughs> we go. Um that's funny too that your dad had you do that because now that's like, you know, um I think it's New York Times has like that that world game. They also have one that's like uh the equivalent of that for music that you yeah. hear. I don't know if you've heard of that, but like I don't remember what it's called, but I listen to such niche music I would flub it so bad. <laughs> but uh 
but um i know that they like play a, like a second of a song and you have to try to guess it and you get like six guesses same with wordle or whatever so i guess your dad was doing that before uh right before that was even like a thing that somebody could monetize on like a you know major news platform so there you go that's awesome yeah yeah um, he was uh harassing his daughter while dropping her off at high school while making her listen yeah. to fucking aerosmith and Boston, yeah yeah but... yeah everyone's favorite <laughs> everyone's favorite when they're like 16 to 18 years old is listening to their dad's classic rock music right right, um, right. <laughs> but uh that's and, hey hey daft funk that is not a that is not a bad uh that is not a bad one to go off of i used to have my friends and i uh i i, I played a lot of like heavy music in college and high school like metal and hard rock and stuff like that and, but we would always sing uh jokingly in one of the bands that i was in when we go play a show uh, around the world you know which <laughs> is literally that same line over yeah. and over again and it was like we would just talk about how that was whenever we'd go to write music, like that was the song we'd use for inspiration is if you could get any lyrical inspiration whatsoever. But it's just, right. Um, it's a banger. Sure it's a banger. It, it is a banger. <laughs> you know, you don't need you don't need like a thesaurus for lyrics. Sometimes you got a good beat and it, and it, and you just let it rip. Right. So right. that's great. Um, thanks for going over that. But uh, <laughs> before we uh, I mean, I, I figure to start off here, you know, I know. For the last, I don't know how long exactly you've been at least a contributor for for TYT, but um, you know I, I've seen you do Twitch streaming where you've had guests on. You've kind of done political discourse stuff. You have your own podcast. You do fairly regularly. Um, where did uh, and I would like to at some point get into the disability rights activist advocate. I cannot talk today advocacy because uh, that's just really interesting for me on a professional and personal level. Um, but I guess in general, where did um, your interest in politics come from for you? uh what you know if if you can find various starting points or, or growth for that for you um did that come from anything you grew up with was that like a college thing just kind of speak to that a little bit yeah so you know growing up in a low income neighborhood in a low income family you know underfunded school district politics is just something that feels like it's really forced upon you from a young age where you might not recognize it as politics but like being acutely aware of, you know, what your family is uh, lacking and like the material needs that are not being met at such a young age. Uh, I didn't realize necessarily how that's not a common experience for people until I went away to college. Um, so I guess it sort of started there. Um, mm. But when, it, you know, as far as, uh, you know, get, getting more into politics, knowing the definitions of things, it really did start in, in college. I studied political science and history and uh <laughs> jokingly i always say this to other people who majored in the humanities all my uh all my poli sci professors were uh, neoliberals and all my history professors were communists so i actually feel like i got a lot more <laughs> of my political education from my history courses than the other way around but you know um so yeah that and then i found you know i i really resonated, Bernie's message really resonated with me in, uh, uh, 2016, less so because I was 18 and, uh, not paying attention as much as I right. maybe should have. But in 2020, uh, 2019, during the primary, you know, I was door knocking for Bernie, but I think my first one actually was, um, getting involved in the 2018 Illinois gubernatorial election, um, oh, yeah. for, for JB Pritzker, our big boy governor, <laughs> um, <laughs> who I, I think has done a really good job, but, um, uh, so yeah, it really started there. And then I found the Young Turks in 2020 when I was getting, uh, you know, involved with the Bernie campaign or 2019, I suppose. Um, and I, I joke because I used to listen to the show and I would pause it and I would say, oh, this is what I would say if I was there. And now I get to actually say, 
my opinions on the show all the time, which is such a is such a bizarre, but you know, very I'm very grateful for the uh experience. But yeah, so as far as my um my career, I suppose, uh, you know, goes in law school during the pandemic, there wasn't really a lot to do. And your first year of law school, you're not supposed to work. And that was my first time ever not working while being a student um, since I was like 15. And I was bored. And also I needed yeah. money. So I started, right. to, I just started streaming because all my friends would tell me, you know, you should, you know, you're always bothering us about your political thoughts. You should just put it out on the internet for, for an audience who actually gives a fuck about what you heard. <laughs> Instead of us, it. right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Stop <laughs> bothering us. Go tell someone who wants to listen. So it started like that. Um, and then I found, I got, you know, uh, involved with TYT from my streaming. Um, yeah, and it's just been a really good time. And then obviously I have the podcast that has nothing to do with politics, though. It's mostly my friend and I just talking about our misadventures on the blue line <laughs> yeah well i was gonna say there's a few times i've li i've listened to it here or there there is one that that i heard but it, like it's just where like life can like you said earlier kind of with your early upbringing uh but but on a less serious level with your podcast where like sometimes you know life just brings that stuff up because people are so mm -hmm. uh life life is political right, right. like in the, in the sense of like I don't know people people that aren't into politics politics as much don't realize that like even like the most sort of everyday things if you analyze them for more than a second at least to, to me they can come off as as political or at least like your right. your, your politics can come through on like everyday conversations mm -hmm. right maybe that's because I don't sit there and talk about I don't know movies all day with people and prefer to talk about like history and communism or something or something like <laughs> right. that right but um but no that's really cool uh i i know uh when we for anybody that i we tried to record this couple <laughs> couple weeks back or got a couple of months back in my com it was when i realized i had to buy a new computer apparently but you had referenced <laughs> a little bit this is where i can't believe i remember this because my memory is so bad but um you had referenced a little bit and this is very you know topical for for what's going on with, with what i would say is the most important um, foreign policy uh, political action going on right now, which is of course the Israel onslaught in, in Gaza and the you know the um, you know horrendous things that are going on with with Palestinians and and things of that nature. And if I remember right, you had brought up that that was another sort of really um, yeah important aspect to kind of bringing into what your political ideology, for lack of a better word, is. Right? Is that fair to say that that happened for you as well? Oh, absolutely. So I had never, uh, you know, even when I was first sort of, you know, getting into studying politics, I'd never really learned much about foreign policy. Um, and I didn't know anything about, uh, you know, to my embarrassment at the time I, when I was, in, I think maybe my junior year of college, I really didn't know anything about um, what was going on in Gaza or the West Bank. And I had a friend who's Palestinian. And she asked me to go with her to a rally, uh, a pro-Palestinian rally. I went to U of I um, on campus and I agreed to go um, because I wanted to support her. I didn't really know anything about it, but I wanted to support her. And while I was there, um, the rally was, you know, peaceful. They were standing outside the student union. Uh, and then a Zionist student group showed up and physically assaulted the Palestinian students. Um, and then the next day, the school issued an apology um, and condemned the actions of the Palestinian students and apologized to the Zionist group. And that was the first time I had, uh, you know, ever recognized how, how, uh, pro-Israel and how, uh, anti-Palestinian 
all of our institutions here are in the United States. And I was like forced to confront that in like a very real way because I was there. I saw what happened. I know that the Zionist students didn't just agitate conflict. They didn't even just throw the first punches. They threw the only punches. They were the only people who assaulted anyone that day. And the school coming down firmly in their side when there was no representatives from the school there at the time. There was no members of the administration. It was all students. Uh, It was just really despicable. And they didn't care to get to the heart of what happened or the issue. They just needed to come out on the the Zionist uh, side. And that was disgusting. And then from there on, uh, you know, this has been an issue that I've been really passionate about. Yeah, well, 100%. I mean, that would be just, even if you hadn't read too much on it, like you said, you were there more as just supporting your friend for, for you know, uh, clearly a cause that's very personally connected to them that they feel strongly about. Mm-hmm. You just want to be there for them. And then talk about just getting, you know, statistics aside, you know, objectivity aside, just like getting hit in the face with the shock of like how fucking insane that is, right? Yeah. And and uh that's like it's 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 crazy because you said i'm i'm bad at math here but you said in 2016 you're about 18 so that means you know that would have been roughly like 2018 2019 that that happened for you right Mm -hmm. around there um uh i yeah i should be able to add if i'm a teacher but well it's it's fine (laughs) but um but uh you know and it's it just goes to show you know we're seeing some of those things now on on campuses and all this discourse about things that people act like or the news acts like uh is something like new like this kind of combative relationship between both um you know like you said institutions or or or, or, or various like pro-zionist groups and peaceful palestinian protests and it's like no this has been going on like for as long as this issue has existed basically when it comes to structural entities versus just like people wanting to have their voices heard and have their advocacy heard right it's like mm-hmm. that's it's very interesting just to hear that from you from several years ago and how things now have escalated as far as i think probably people seeing those kinds of things happening you know we just saw like the former idf uh members at a campus i think it was columbia i'm i, I should it was columbia this, yeah that like used like chem- you know used uh chemical you know, weapons on chemical weapons on on students and it's like you know there's a lot of parallels there for far before this recent escalation of the violence and all that kind of stuff and it's just like yeah in your shoes i could see how that would be instantly like legitimately radicalizing right yeah absolutely yeah just uh a very uh realistic introduction into the uh (laughs) politics of the conflict the last time i was going to have you on we were going to talk about you know there's a little bit of ambiguity a little bit of apprehension on how you know um uh the chicago mayor brandon johnson and and local government in chicago had kind of been handling the issue of of palestine and while this is a few weeks back i think it's important to bring up for somebody that lives in chicago that is politically active that you know it was it was great to see um chicago become the largest Mm-hmm. government entity in the country that uh voted for pushing for a ceasefire um you know and brandon johnson to his credit some people you know were giving him you know he was you know giving him some some valid criticism i think about how he had kind of talked about this at yeah. certain points but he was the deciding vote as well along with the city council to make that um make that a reality that that chicago officially called for this um do you do you kind of feel as someone that's grown up in chicago that is politically active that you know obviously we can get into how there's literally like the i think it's the largest palestinian population yeah is in chicago in the entire united states but uh what was your reaction to that what's your reaction to in general of like all the activism and 
and protests and demonstrations in Chicago and just kind of um, what what have you kind of noticed that from somebody that like has has grown up there and lives there currently? Yeah, so I'm uh, very involved in the National Lawyers Guild doing legal observing. So for people who frequent protests, it's the people in the green hats who uh, document, you know, uh, police misconduct. Uh, they they bail people out of jail, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, provide you with the phone numbers for the uh, public defender's uh, office. But uh, so, you know, it's been relentless here, right? The activism in support of Palestine. It's been wonderful to see, you know, every single weekend there's been an action downtown. Um, you know, half of all weekdays, I would say there's smaller actions around the city. Um, absolutely wonderful. Um, I couldn't agree more that there was some lackluster uh, response from Brandon Johnson initially, especially when we have such a massive Palestinian diaspora, and especially in the wake of the uh, murder of the six-year-old uh, Palestinian American boy just outside yeah. the city, um, and you know all of the violence against uh, Palestinians and Muslim Americans all around the country that was heightened the increase in uh, Islamophobia when it really just seems like you know, and it initially came across uh, that Brandon Johnson was this way too, although I think that he has, you know, changed his rhetoric. But there was such a focus on an increase in anti-Semitism um, that nobody was talking about the increase in uh, anti-Islamophobia, uh, excuse me, despite the fact that it's been deadly on multiple occasions mm -hmm. in the wake of this and inspired by anti-Muslim rhetoric that's being spewed in, in the news um, by politicians, by, you know, uh, Zionist organizations. Um, but it was a huge step for the, for the city to do this. And uh, obviously, you know, I think from the outside looking in for anyone listening who's not from Chicago, they might have maybe a different view of our uh, 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 the way our city council is than the people here know, because it is very divided. There's we have a lot of uh, socialists, communist, DSA backed members who are wonderful and they do great work. We also have a lot of corporate pieces of shit who suck. Yeah. They are landlords. <laughs> they are assholes. Terrible, horrible people, uh, you know, very hawkish on crime, uh, you know, very pro corporation. They're, uh, you know, criminalizing the homeless. So seeing it pass and seeing Brandon Johnson being forced to step in and, and make that deciding vote, I think, was important for people to see him uh, voice his support for a ceasefire in that way. Um, I will say I'm a little disappointed in some people on the left who have been dismissive of what this means, because uh, the city of Chicago can't do more right than than request right. a ceasefire or then call for a ceasefire um, and support the protesters in any way possible. And I'll say that they've been uh, largely. Uh, Honestly, the police have behaved better involved in these protests than I've seen them <laughs> in even some tiny actions around niche issues for the city. So it's been good to see that they've been reined in at least a little bit for the time being. Um, yeah. But right, this is what Chicago can do. I mean, we're not a sovereign nation that can deny entry to people who are citizens of Israel, right? Like uh, that's something right. that that you know actual countries across the world could be doing, and I would call on them to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, uh, but, you know, so this is very meaningful, especially, you know, for the huge Palestinian population here. Uh, you know, I live in Albany Park. It has a huge Muslim population. It's where the Muslim uh, community center is. I'm Muslim. My partner is Muslim. Almost majority of my neighbors are Muslim. And the tensions had been high and uh, times were stressful. And there was a lot of 
anxiety, especially after uh, the the murder of, as I mentioned, of uh, the six year old about you know potential attacks on uh, the mosque here, on the on the mosques around the city. Um, and the initial response was just to increase FBI presence, which you know, if any group of Americans yeah, great has great for reasons, mo- right, yeah, great for Muslims, yeah, right. yeah, that's great for the Muslim <laughs> community. Have more FBI agents around mosques, yeah, that's historically been great, yeah, right. But yeah, I think that Brandon Johnson has done a you know a better job uh, as of late in um, reassuring these uh, members of the community that he's actually going to fight for them, that he cares about this issue, um, he's going to represent them, you know, in their voice as the mayor. So things have been good. Things have been pretty good here, you know, after a very rocky start. You know, uh, Brandon Johnson and and even some of the you know various you know various degrees of what people can call left or liberal or progressive or whatever, whatever moniker <laughs> you want to throw out there. Um, it's a good example of, even if you like someone's overall policies, like I remember when I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty like disillusioned overall from electoral politics for a lot of reasons I would bore people to death over, but like, <laughs> there's no, there's no question that it matters more in city politics and local politics yeah. and all those different things. Um, and because in those instances, even when you have someone like Brandon Johnson, who I think, you know, any anybody that gets to that level of governance, you know, there's there's a lot of uh, chess that's played. There's a lot of you know mm-hmm. thinking about what various you know groups of various um, agendas or various ideologies or or whatever you want to throw out there um, uh, have it have in store for the city, but they can be pushed right, and that's where you can see like we were just talking about earlier, and what I was initially going to talk to you about a couple months ago was about his sort of wishy washy stance on this but what you see you know i've i was only able to make it out to one of the larger protests in chicago because for me it's like an hour and 40 minute drive with yeah. traffic to get there you know and and living in the middle of a cornfield there's that all i think i might be the only person standing on the corner over here doing that you know but <laughs> but uh but i think when i was there it was like twenty five thousand people came out like you know yeah. shut down there's been various times of shutting down lakeshore drive and i think the difference is where you can uh, look at especially locally where electoral politics do matter is you know he is able to be pushed and also probably has overall personally the right beliefs just depends on you know where the winds are shifting overall with with the public sentiment right. but i couldn't imagine like someone like lightfoot right <laughs> uh yeah, no. yeah 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 i see the laughing right yeah right could not i could not imagine her handling this any way other than like the worst way possible and and, you know, to, to people outside of a place like Chicago, you know, those are both, quote unquote, Democrats. And yet it's just where it shows that primary politics and and local organizing and activism and and elections in the regard of mayoral election as an example yeah. makes a big difference. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for Brandon Johnson to be elected after, you know, first announcing he was going to run polling in at like two percent. Um, and then, uh, you know, defeating the very moneyed corporate backed uh, opponent he faced in the runoff election. Just great to see. And, and you know, as someone who door knocked for him uh, to see that he overwhelmingly won in the poorest areas of the city, uh, you know, the most diverse areas of the city that, you know, everyone was saying would never vote for him because he's soft on crime. 
uh just nice to be able to laugh at those fucking assholes from naperville and give them a big fuck you <laughs> yeah yeah because because yeah the 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 people living in like you know gentrified areas or, or naperville or whatever like because they they know what the fuck chicago needs right right like that's but they they sure yeah they're the people that you hear talking the loudest whenever a mayoral election comes around i mean you right. know better than i do living there it's ridiculous <laughs> but yeah that's that's a tale as old as time when it comes to elections right but um <laughs> That's great. It's good to see that, you know, Chicago's kind of been, um, despite what a lot of people outside of the state are certainly, you know, abroad, like think of Chicago in a lot of ways that I could get it go into for forever on that topic as well. It's great to see like that it's kind of the the setting the the example of what, you know, big entities should and can be doing to at least call for a ceasefire and maybe tell the more federal electorate to like wake the fuck up and do something about this, right? So that's great. Right. Um so going from there, I guess you brought it up a little bit earlier, and I just want to I, I just want to get into this before we get into some of these current events topics uh, real quick. I just shared you a couple articles, but um, you know, you said you started streaming, getting into working with TYT after the fact around 2020 or so. You said right, yeah. Uh, but you also had listed, uh, at least like I said in your in your bios on socials and stuff, of being a disability rights advocate. Um, where where does that side of things come from for you, and and how did how did that kind of become? And, and important for you yeah so i also used to teach special education oh no kidding um, awesome I, yeah i well i was uh working for park district and i was a one-on-one -on -one for um an autistic boy for the first like four years i was working yeah. and that was great and then in college i was uh, working full-time as a teacher teacher's assistant in a school specifically for children with disabilities behavioral disabilities um, and I'm disabled as well. So then when I started law school and I was trying to figure out what area of law I wanted to go into, I took a clerkship working with a disability rights, uh, organization and a nonprofit and their legal team. And I was only supposed to stay there for a semester and I stayed there for three years, uh, awesome. doing advocacy for, uh, low income people with disabilities who needed representation, mostly in housing discrimination cases. So wrongful evictions, um, uh, you know, writing a lot of reasonable accommodation requests on their behalf. I got to deal with so many fucking landlords during my time there. Um, but yeah, no, it was really wonderful experience and like, you know, uh, it's a lot of people are sort of dissuaded in law school from going into nonprofit work or public interest work because it doesn't pay well, but God, it does make you feel good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially working. Cause you know, I'm on the other side of it. As I said, I'm a, a educator and case manager. And a lot of times, you know, this is where with you both having a legal background and saying that you're, you know, have obviously worked it with disability rights. I think you, you would identify with this where when I started doing that part of the job, which college, does not prepare teachers for as much as you would think whatsoever, you know, when parents ask questions or, yeah. or various, you know, entities ask questions on like legal questions of when a kid gets out of school and like looking into what the funding is like and the loopholes for, for mm -hmm. adults with disabilities once they're out of the public school system. Um, and, uh, and it, it just is like, it's, it's really such an important thing that I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about as much but it, it like affects such a huge portion of the population and certainly the most marginalized but is there in in your work in that or just kind of having knowledge on on these things in that vein um is there one or two things you can think of when it comes to people that have left or progressive pol you know 
political beliefs should really think about as being involved in when it comes to having, you know, like on the ground political activism, for for lack of a better word. Do you know what I'm kind of saying? Um, you know, maybe. So I guess one thing that I think that uh, uh, well-meaning people on the left tend to do is infantilize uh, disabled populations uh, as like unable to participate in direct action, which is historically not accurate at all. I mean, you know, looking at the history of, of uh, dis- disability civil rights in this country. It is uh, a history of uh, a civil disobedience. It is a history of direct action. And the reason that the Chicago uh, bus system was made accessible was because disabled people uh, stood outside of the bu- where the buses, uh, you know, load and unload, and they refused to get off the street, so the buses couldn't get out, so they couldn't. Right. And they also did a, a sit-in around uh, City Hall, and it was uh, very violent um, because the city was trying to break through the sit-in. They were locking arms, but they weren't budging, and so that was how a lot of, uh, you know, uh, disability rights were achieved here in Chicago. And also, you know, federally, it was it's not a, <laughs> a tale of passive activism and like some heroic federal government coming in to you know, uh, lift these people out of their oppression, right? I mean, uh, you know, one example that comes to mind is the the crawl of the Capitol steps where people uh, who had mobility disabilities went to the Capitol and literally crawled up the steps to, you know, protest uh, inaccessible uh, public accommodations for disabled people, people with mobility disabilities. So, you know, I, I, th- I think that it's nice takeaway for people on the left would be don't infantilize these people you know yes your actions should be uh, as accessible as possible but don't pretend like that disabled people are unable to participate in them (laughs) because uh they are not but also i would just recommend for everybody you know always mask up when you can because anyone who's immunocompromised you know we can make their uh, alleviate their burden a little bit um by masking when we go in public so that they aren't forced to uh, stay indoors because you feel uncomfortable putting a mask on for a couple hours a day. Yeah, you know, that's something I guess is a little off track here, but you brought up a good point there of just like, and, and it should be something that is kind of a no brainer for people that are, you know, progressive or socialist, communist, left in general. You know, you, you talk about collective action. That's like what the whole kind of concept of like left wing mm-hmm. politics are supposed to be. Um, and and yet you know and and the the pandemic i think was such a sort of a litmus test in a yeah. lot of ways for the reality of that right we're like we're like you know all of a sudden when when you know people that that kind of view themselves in those same veins when it comes to just the most minor collective action um and i'm not shitting on a bunch of people but you get what i'm saying like mm-hmm. all of a sudden like it it doesn't matter as much for for a given you know, protests or a given uh, yeah. political function or just an overall viewpoint of like, I don't know. It was, it was just, it was just incredible to see the dismissiveness of all these different things when it comes to just like, you know, compromise people, or like I said, people, people that I work with that are the most, you know, when it comes to health stuff, the most like marginalized and the most where, where the virus or like a pandemic or, or some sort of communicable disease would affect them the most right yeah and and it's just a it's a stark reminder of like inclusivity is not just like this sort of like term to throw out there loosely it really does matter when it comes to like making the world a collectively better place or your community a collectively better place to just think about those things and at the same time like you just pointed to and i love that you said that that's the thing that i think about the most is like don't infantilize people don't treat them like they have 
any less, you know, um, substance to society or substance to political action or substance to, right. you know, your community just because whether they have a, you know, a cognitive disability or, or, or a health issue or a physical disability or whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. it's like that means nothing. You know, it's like the, 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 the counterpoint to those people that it's, it doesn't fit with this when you know what you're talking about. But to like the everyday person, it's like think about how many people people view as like, you know a what 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 a lot of people would view as like you know um someone that's like a high intellectual or a high you know has like a like a graduate phd level degree from like an ivy league school and how they contribute nothing to society or actively right. make things worse right and it's like on the flip side of things people that you view as not having the same sort of um value it's like you're just completely wrong like those right. things you pointed out were are just such a perfect example of just like hard core activism that really made a you know tangible difference right yeah so so thank yeah thanks for going i just never get to talk to anybody else that knows anything about those things i really appreciate you going over that um (laughs) i said a couple of articles i thought would be cool to to look at here before i go if that's all right um first one i actually was looking at uh right before i kind of updated these things in in the invite i sent you was was about the sort of which you and I are as, as as Twitter users would know pretty pretty well about this already. We can get into how ridiculous this is, but the oh, you're from, banned uh, now. So oh yeah, yeah, I haven't even talked your, about that. Yeah, your free did, did speech you... has been signed. You've uh, yeah. it's been violated. Yeah, and the crazy part about that was it was from tweets from like 2014, like replies <laughs> to friends that were like uh, that were like uh, you know like morbid jokes. You know, yeah. um, nothing like nothing that i would get quote unquote canceled for or anything like that just right. kind of like morbid things that you would say to your friend when you're having a beer or something mm-hmm. and it was just somebody had gone it was right after i did an episode with june uh uh juniper uh you know on on, on mm-hmm. twitter and i was the only thing i could think it was some right-wing weirdo saw my account search something and then just uh. like flagged a bunch of stuff and i got suspended but whatever i guess i'm too cool for twitter but at any rate uh i'm not allowed on twitter anymore really but the uh but bots are and that's a big thing that came out from an article from matt vinder this week that i sent over that i saw you shared as well so you saw it was that there was a majority of traffic from elon musk x formerly twitter may have been fake during the super bowl and it goes on to talk about how up to the traffic going to other sites so this isn't like the amount of traffic that was physically on twitter but the amount of traffic coming from x to advertising client websites was up to 76 percent where other places it was as low as two percent for like tiktok two percent for facebook and then at the very end of the article it does talk about that he said of the um uh of the visits from x for uh uh for uh the month of january it it was up to 31.82 percent of that traffic was determined to be fake so I know I maybe I'm crazy because I've seen this a lot more, but it's become kind of a bit for people that use Twitter a lot that, you know, there's those kind of spaces of the, I'm not going to say the words, but, you know, yeah. like the, my whatever in bio or whatever else that like right. bots have run rampant things are able to have like blue checks there, all that kind of stuff. I guess this is just in general, both we could talk about the specific article or as someone that uses Twitter as a lot of political commentators do. What have you noticed over the, you know, Elon Musk taking over in general that this is kind of a microcosm of of how it's going compared to how he has uh, promote, you know, promoted himself as handling it? <laughs> I mean, it's really hysterical when you think about it because his whole shtick around, um, you know, 
uh, ramping up Twitter blue and I don't know what they're calling it now. X premium, maybe premium or something. Yeah. 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 So it was in order to fight the bots. He even floated the idea without mentioning it to the CEO beforehand and the catching her way off guard (laughs) in a press conference uh, that he might make it paid for everybody. If you want to tweet or reply to tweets or share things, uh, which didn't end up happening. But again, this was all, you know, he justified it as being in service of fighting the bots. Well, the bots just pay for Twitter Blue now, um, and their replies are boosted uh, to the top under all the replies. I mean, the, the website's basically fucking unusable. Any viral tweet, all of the top replies are just bots. It's just bots, most of them porn bots or, you know, mm-hmm. AI generating text like the replies are so clearly that's not a real person that it's fucking insane. Uh, and, and, you know, and shout out to Matt Binder for the article. He stays on Elon's neck. <laughs> yes, he does. He sure does. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, that is, it's despicable how much higher a percent of bot interaction that is than the other major social media websites where he tout and Twitter is uh, tiny compared to, you know, Instagram compared to Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, it has a fraction of the uh, uh, people on it that those websites do. I mean, fucking you, Facebook is so ubiquitous all around the world, you know? So, yeah. Um, so it's crazy that this smaller social media site can't tackle this problem. And, you know, it's just evidence that Elon Musk is a total hack and a fraud. And, um, his, but the people who support him don't care. Right. You know, if he just tweets out a meme that he crops the name of the person who originally posted it out of, um, they'll all be in the replies with the crying, laughing face emoji, uh, you know, jerking off their favorite deadbeat dad. Yeah, well, and and it's it's really pathetic, both for, you know, he's pathetic in his own right, being the richest yeah. person. And I think he's still the richest person in the world. I don't follow that shit as much as you know <laughs> I think some other people might. But but, you know, one of the richest people in the world that spends his whole time you know sitting on this site like you said ripping off memes from like 2015 that you probably now see from like your boomer uncle on facebook right and 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 the amount of but it's crazy to me at this stage that people there's still that many people that are sycophants you know what i mean because like I I maybe you know I always think my brain's garbage but apparently mm-hmm. I am a lot more well adjusted than a lot of these fuckers that are on there. I don't know. I don't like can can you even comprehend how someone is still like that at this late stage? Like it it it's truly mind-boggling, you know. It- it definitely is. I'll say he used to have the favor of like liberal media as the mm-hmm. guy who is going to, you know, uh, fix climate change. He's going to, you know, put us all on renewable energy. We're all going to be driving his electric vehicles. Um, uh, but it was just a facade, right? It was just the way he yeah. was selling himself in the moment. Um, and it didn't last because he, you know, once there was, you know, even a little bit of, uh, uh, looking closer at that it was revealed pretty quickly that no this guy's just a hack this guy doesn't really know what he's talking about he's posted climate denial stuff this guy who is has made all his money by uh securing government subsidies for uh fucking renewable energy and then here he is posting climate denialism <laughs> right that's the other thing that like is especially crazy with that and how you know i think he's like the biggest i i, I think it was probably matt bender that i heard say this um not that long ago where it's like he's the perfect encapsulation of someone who like 
whether it was, you know, there was like the one thing that happened that you know, when COVID first hit that he was like, oh, the ventilators, um, yeah, the ventilators and also like just going to put people back to work. And if he gets arrested, he'll get arrested and all that yeah. kind of stuff. And, and at the same time, getting funneled into these like reactionary spaces where like you saw a guy that was nominally liberal that was like the darling liberal uh, yeah. uh billionaire he was one of the good billionaires right in 2016 right. probably one of the ones that people were talking about um and g to go from that to all of a sudden like hanging out with like alex jones and vivek ramaswamy and, mm -hmm. and doing these weird things with like ron DeSantis and all this right. kind of stuff launching and his I his presidential campaign and the most disastrous presidential campaign yeah. launch maybe in american political history <laughs> i would say that's very fair right and <laughs> and and it's it just like it's been truly um boggling to to see like someone just like go down that hole like in front of the world right like yeah. one of the most famous people in the world and like that's what you're showing the world is just how big of a dumbass you are and part right. of it is that like not to stay on this forever, but but uh, is that like Twitter's the first like business he owns that he is actually running, right? right? Like he has other people running. He doesn't know shit about cars or rockets or renewable energy. He just pays other people to do that. This is the first one where it's like, this is all you got, man. And you are right. you're really showing your whole ass, you know? Right. Absolutely. I will say though, you know, to some extent that he was even able to brand himself as that, you know liberal darling it is the fault of the liberal media for not being more oh. uh you know uh looking behind the curtain i suppose because he's a billionaire right at the end of the day mm -hmm. he's a billionaire and his financial interests are always going to outweigh any interest he has in any sort of humanitarian project right and that's why he is the way that he is because he's he cares about his bottom line more uh you know personally i suppose he doesn't really give a shit about how much money twitter is making the way he's running no. the ground but that's just his hubris as a billionaire who doesn't see himself as being capable of anything wrong yeah and and it, it does remind me you know with like the sort of liberal space and this is where you know you have to have like objectivity and some sort of like class consciousness otherwise you get you know they get fooled by so many of these people it's like it reminds me of when all of a sudden like Bill Gates several years ago was the one spearheading international distribution of vaccines and was right. like the head of various summits for environmental action. And it's like, he's the, the dude's buying, like he's trying to like buy up all of these rights of these different right. renewable energy. Like Jeffrey Epstein's good friend, Bill Gates. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that was maybe what had people finally jump the shark, but it was like, it's like the, like the sort of like at large liberal zeitgeist of media which is like, who's the next like benevolent billionaire that we can act like is going to save us? And it's like, mm, I think it's probably boring policy and, and, right. and needing to read, you know, legislature and and collective <laughs> action. But like they they just like look for the next right. person and it always blows up in their face. And yeah, between <laughs> Epstein for both of those people in various <laughs> yeah. ways, like it's like, uh, Jesus Christ, like when are they going to learn? And they don't. And so we'll Never. see who they put up next. Right. Um. For the antithesis of billionaires, uh, the next article that I had uh, that I had sent over to you, which is, we could just like scoff at this. I don't need to read through this very much, but as the um, what was it? It was I, I want to almost pull up the tweet because the tweet was better. But I remember it went viral on Twitter because it talked about you know young adults are getting used to living on a financial cliff, and they said you know they're living for you know their spending is going to short term purchases. Oh, here it is. Yeah, short term purchases like groceries and vacations. You know the two right. things young people spend all their money on. 
you know, the groceries, which you don't need, and vacations, which you don't need, you know, very, very equatable things. When, when you saw this, what did you think about this? <laughs> you know, I mean, I agree. I think that, you know, when we go to the grocery store, you know, we're prioritizing our toast and our avocados. And really, that's <laughs> our own fault when we should be putting that money in our savings account. I mean, it's it's so ridiculous the way that these people write about um, subjects like this. And it really was reminiscent to me of all of the, uh, uh, you know, musings of, uh, these upper middle class, you know, PMC writers for these, uh, outlets that write about retirement and how people of our generations need to accept that we're never going to be able to retire. And that's something we should be happy about. I was reading this Oh, Jesus Christ. This piece in The Economist by this woman who was saying that- I think uh, I saw that same one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Warren Buffett <laughs> yeah. never retired. So why would you ever want to retire? And it was just the most absurd you know, thing ever. And the idea, it's, it's just that they have to frame it as we mismanage our money, as opposed to the fact that pr- prices are sky high, rent is totally unaffordable, um, you know, wages may have increased, you know, that's sort of something that they don't talk enough about in this piece is that yes, the number on the paper has gone up, but the purchasing power of that number has gone down. So, yeah. so it might look, uh, you know, at a first glance, like we are doing better financially, but also to pretend that, you know, being able to go on vacation is some sort of luxury that should be unattainable for every American that, you know, if you take a vacation that you're, uh, being irresponsible with your money is fucking absurd and such a weirdly uniquely American idea. Because if you talk to, <laughs> you know, a motherfucker in Europe, they're going on vacation for an entire month at minimum. And that's everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's like a, it's like a part of, it's like a part of their like work contract, right? right. Like and it's a part of like their state stipulation for workers' rights. And these are not like socialist utopia or dystopia or whichever side of the spectrum you're on. Like uh, uh, countries, they're like, for lack of a better word, set up like ours, just a little less stupid, you know. Right. And it's and it's and it's yeah, yeah. It, it goes. It's so funny to me because you'll see an article like this or the one you're talking about come out. Uh, you know, talk about that we should just accept we don't need to retire and that's great or or this one where we spend money on groceries and right. going places <laughs> and then at the same time it'll talk about how we how millennials or gen z people are ruining the economy because yeah. we don't buy enough stuff so it's like which i don't get it like which yeah. which one is it i i guess it's just that we're, we're we're like you said we're the problem with society not that society as a whole is the right problem, and it's know? just so fucking infuriating to see like what you just mentioned those comments about we're not making enough purchases we're not purchasing enough real estate we're not starting businesses we're not buying vehicles um but the fact of the matter is we're not doing that because we're all drowning in debt like i have a negative one hundred twenty thousand dollars to my name right now course no one's gonna let me buy a fucking house i can't buy a car i can't i wouldn't but i can't start a business you know these Mm -hmm. things are just completely unattainable for me and so many other people that you know but that's you literally cannot put that on us because we didn't create the system that we are all victims of now right that was set up uh, outside of our control and you know we were told we need to go to college to get a job and we did that we had to take out a lot of debt to do that and now we're just drowning in debt and we're going to be you know trying to pay that off until we die and we will never pay it off <laughs> and that's yeah that and and but that, that doesn't dream. matter that's yeah that's you know that's that's just some liberal bullshit you're just making right. that up but no but um 
I know it's just so goofy. Like every single, it's like every month or two, some article like this has to come out. It's actually probably more than that, but at least one of these like gets blown up online, and you have to look at it, and it's like, do these people just like? It's so funny that they say things like that, or especially the economist when you brought up, because it's like you are writing like an opinion piece once a week. Right. That's that is not your job. <laughs> yeah. That's not the same as, as someone working in a restaurant or at a warehouse or yeah. you know, or even like, you know, like a, a bachelor's degree level job as like a teacher or an engineer or whatever else. It's like all those jobs have various pay levels, but you're like kicking your ass every week like right you're not you're not sitting in your home on your laptop typing up an opinion piece right. to send out to one of the biggest news outlets <laughs> in the world and it's not the same it's like yeah. shut the fuck up i mean know? even if your job is just sending emails to the email man like that is yeah. soul-sucking work and no one wants to do that until the day they Great die point. we are uh-huh. working so that eventually we can retire and we can like maybe uh for enjoy a few life fleeting, a little right, bit yeah. just for a few fleeting moments find some enjoyment in life but the idea that you know uh, it's not only is it acceptable, it's good to have 80 year olds working, uh, you know, in these manual labor jobs. <laughs> well, so, you know, sometimes I think these pieces come out more and more so that way we can justify having an 81 year old president. But like, right. uh, you know, yeah. I won't get into that discourse <laughs> that's been talked about, you know, to death. But uh, but yeah, I don't know. Just fucking uh, it's just, I don't know why I still sit on these websites and still read news news articles it just feel like it just melts my brain you know yeah yeah but every uh, once in a while you get a real gem like the lady who got scammed out of fifty thousand dollars oh my um, god in in a phone call scam that was the fbi (laughs) did you did you deep dive that one did you oh yeah yeah oh uh, it was so good i I do have to appreciate the honesty a little bit to like fully sit down type this out i think she also like spelled it out in a podcast i didn't listen to that i read it but but uh it was just like truly astounding that you're doing this and i think she was like a a financial financial uh, advisor she wrote a (laughs) bi-weekly column in the economy section of the new york times that's the uh upper echelon you know the top tier uh type of financial advice you're getting uh from the new york times (laughs) putting 50 grand in a shoebox the hand of the cia yeah undercover agent that pulled up in a in front of her house i would kill myself before i tell anybody that that happened to me honestly though <laughs> yeah, I, I would change my name right. i would yeah i would yeah i mean that was the disassociation there from like how that was going to be received because i think like at least the tweets that i saw from her on that was like literally like this could happen to anybody it's gonna right. happen more often to you and it's like i know scammers are getting a little bit better and we could right. talk about that you could have a constructive conversation about that but that's not what this is. right like, i mean it's funny because like she tries to justify it by saying like gen z and millennials are actually very likely to fall for scams uh, more likely than the elderly which is i don't think that's an accurate representation of that i think young people are more likely to report that they were victims of a scam they're more likely to recognize they were victims of a scam But what she doesn't say is that young people, uh, millennials and Gen Z, are most likely to fall victim of crypto scams, not of a phone call from Amazon, which if you fall for a crypto scam, you're also an idiot. But if you pick up the phone and someone says they're from Amazon and they're going to transfer you to the uh, FTC and then they're going to transfer you to the... uh, fbi or cia i think it was which is even more outlandish because they don't operate inside the united states no 
What? You, you literally have to have another. You have to be working with another entity, like a domestic entity, for the right. CIA to be able to work with. It. Like, it, there's right. so many moving parts out of that. A Google search away, or even right. just using just your brain. Hang it's up like, the oh, phone. Like, I'm sorry. I've just, this has been plaguing my mind forever. You know, she's trying <laughs> no, to frame it right. as this could happen to anyone, not me. I don't pick up the phone. <laughs> yeah. No. Like, yeah. That's the other thing that she'd point. Like millennials and Gen Z. Like, have you seen millennials and Gen Z people? <laughs> their phones they don't answer phone calls like right. it's not it's not gonna be an issue right uh, <laughs> god yeah that one was i almost forgot about that one with how many things come out and like the you know yeah <laughs> but god that was one of the weirdest ones just because of how confident she was in that whole reporting it was fantastic yeah i'm uh, gonna think about her every day for the rest of my life <laughs> yeah i I was going to go over this last one I pulled up, but I don't think it really fits with what we've been talking about here lately <laughs> too, too much. Um, so th that that's a good note to end on, I think, <laughs> is just talking about the ridiculousness of uh, of a financial advisor from the New York Times getting scammed out of 50 grand from a pseudo CIA agent. Um, so so thanks for going over all the stuff with me, Ravana. This has been great to have you on. I really, really appreciate your time. Um, why don't you go ahead and plug where people can find you? um and and find what you, what you've got going on yeah absolutely first thanks for having me on um i'm glad we were able to make this work um yeah. <laughs> but yeah <laughs> i'm glad your computer's uh, uh all good now you got a new one fresh computer <laughs> no yeah issues. yeah it won't die three times in the middle of trying to record something and make me feel like a complete <laughs> asshole yeah, yeah no it was fine it literally wasn't a problem i'm just glad that you got that fixed um yeah, I but yeah that. everyone uh, can follow me on twitter at ravana ttv you know as much as i talk shit about the app i'll be there because uh you know i'm addicted um, you, you gotta go down with the ship, you know? Yeah. Right. Exactly. I'm going to be uh, like the band in Titanic. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also twitch.tv slash Ravana. I haven't been streaming much lately, but I'm about to have a lot more time on my hands. So everyone can uh, see me over there on weekdays. Um, and you can also see my videos for Rebel HQ uh, on their page on YouTube and on Facebook if you're anyone listening still uses facebook yeah yeah so rebel hq um you already said all this stuff i won't get it wrong here but it also i'll be in the notes and last thing i'm going to ask you i'm going to put you on the spot here okay. is is i always play a song at the end music based podcast or not and i always have the guests pick it so uh go ahead and pick a song for me for us to play at the end of this Okay, well, we talked about it, so you should play Around the World. <laughs> All right. I, I was hoping you were going to pick that. I love that you picked that. All right, we're going to play Around the World from Dat Funk, uh, one of my favorite songs at the end of this. And Rivana, thanks again for doing this. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs>